Welcome to the Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, and this is episode number five. Today I spoke with Brian Dean of Backlinko. We discussed the top mistakes people make when optimizing for search engines. I had a blast chatting with Brian and I learned a ton, and I'm sure you will too. So let's get started. How's it going, Brian? It's going good, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. So today I wanted to discuss with you everything SEO, and you're clearly a master on this. To get started, I wanted to find out a little bit more about your experience with SEO. How did you get into it? So I first got into SEO after I read the book that I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. And before that book, I'd never really been into entrepreneurship or starting a website, and I was actually kind of a bum. I was living in my parents' basement and had no job during the recession. And I read this book. It was like, wow, I should start a website and I should sell a product and I should have my own thing. But as great as the book is, it doesn't really tell you how to get traffic to a site, which is obviously the lifeblood of any site. So I kind of struggled with traffic generation. So I had a site, no one was really going to it, and I struggled getting traffic. And as someone who didn't really have a huge budget for something like pay-per-click or PR, SEO was naturally appealing, especially when I started, which is 2008. It was pretty easy to gain Google. So you didn't really need you know, any skill whatsoever. The barrier to entry was super low. After experimenting with you know, different properties and different websites and different strategies, about two years ago, I kind of put the pieces together and I had a really successful site that within a few months was generating 10000 in a month. And then after that, I started creating more and more. And about a year and a half ago, I started backlinko.com, which is my SEO blog. Wait, so you created a site that was generating $10,000 a month? Yeah, $10,000 a month after it launched three months. And after three months, it was making 10000 a month. And that was when I first was like, wow, I can do this SEO thing. For that, I really struggled for over a year and a half of just failing with SEO. So I created the site and within a short period of time, it was doing pretty well. And it was most of the traffic, good 75% of the traffic was from Google. Can you share what that website is? Uh, no, unfortunately, I can't. Are you still making money on it today? Yes. All right. So Brian Dean's Path to Riches. <laughs> I don't really want to like be like in the make money online thing, but that was the first time where I felt like I knew SEO enough. I was also doing consulting for businesses, but the thing when you consult for small businesses, a lot of times their SEO is so awful. Even if you know a little bit about SEO, you're able to take them to the next level pretty easily. But in really competitive industries, it's pretty tough actually. You have to know your stuff to rank, especially today. All right, so you can't tell me the name of the website, but I do have a couple of questions about it, which you can't can or can't answer. Uh, the first one I have is, was it a competitive keyword? Yeah, it's actually multiple keywords. So it was in kind of a boring niche, uh, and I can talk more about it. It was it kind of like a work-at-home niche, but sort of a boring sub-niche of that. And and it was it was quite competitive. It wasn't like life insurance or weight loss or something absolutely impossible to rank for. It was a very mortal keyword that you know obviously someone could rank for, and that was me. So it wasn't like I was beating like Fortune 500 companies or anything like that to rank for the keywords that that site was ranking for. Got it. And so was it a blog that you set up? Yes. So you have a blog set up for this specific niche. Mm -hmm. uh, are you monetizing it exclusively through like Google ads? No, I'm using CPA. So cost per action, which is basically where someone becomes a lead. So they click on something on your site, then they become a lead and you get paid for leads. So it's very similar to affiliate marketing, except the person doesn't buy anything. Does the lead sign up on your website or do they click through to another website? So when someone visits my website and they click on a link or an affiliate banner, 
that puts a cookie on their browser, and then when they become a lead, I get automatically credited with that lead and paid for that lead. Got it. So it's very similar to affiliate marketing, except they just don't have to purchase anything. Okay. And is there a service that you're using, like Get Ambassador or something like that? Uh, I'm using Max Bounty, which is this uh, CPA network. And is that actually generating most of your income for you? Is this no, website? No, no, no. It's something I kind of have there because I'm really focusing on building my site now. So that's just something that I built. It did well. And now I'm really focusing on what I'm doing now. Awesome. Let's get to that. So sure. are you primarily focused on Backlinko? Yeah, definitely. That's like 99% so, of what I do. Awesome. And so you had mentioned a couple of things before the show, but what we had discussed going over in regards to search engine optimization was mistakes people make most often. And I guess a lot of those lessons have been learned through Backlinko as well as your other sites. Absolutely. Let's just dive right in. You know, what cool. is a mistake that people tend to make when it comes to SEO? Well, one of the big mistakes that I see people make is that they try to target too many keywords per page. So a lot of times you'll see a page and it's going after four, five, six, seven keywords. And basically what that does is it tells Google, my page is about car insurance, Boston. It's about life insurance, Boston. It's about mortgages, Boston. And when you have all those keywords in there, it really confuses Google to what this page is all about. They really like one page that's really tightly focused and about one subject and specifically even more one keyword. So one subset of a topic. So I see a lot of people trying to kind of jam six or seven keywords on a page, especially on home pages. I see that a lot for small businesses and that's not doing you any favor. It's actually hurting you. One thing I'm sort of wondering about this is I've spent a lot of time creating content, trying to optimize for that one keyword. That definitely is the strategy that I've found to be effective. But one of the biggest challenges is actually getting that one page to rank. So I've set up the page for all search engine purposes. Mm -hmm. And now it's just not showing up. Once I've created the page, what are the activities that need to happen after that in order to really have that page rank effectively? Well, you need to build links to that page. That's a, that's a must. I mean, in the year 2000, 2002, you could pretty much just build a page as long as it wasn't around a very competitive keyword and it would rank based on the fact that there wasn't a lot of competition in the land of the blind, the one I man is king. So even if it wasn't super optimized and it didn't have a lot of links pointing to the page, you could still rank for some pretty competitive keywords. But now it's just so competitive. Big brands have been doing SEO for 10 years. Everyone's been doing SEO for a long time now who are already ranking on the first page. So if you're just like a newcomer trying to rank for a really competitive keyword, you do need to build a lot of links to that page or better yet, do that and choose a keyword that's maybe less competitive to start with. Because that's another mistake I see a lot of people make. They go after these really ambitious keywords where they just pull a keyword out of thin air and it's like, oh, I want to rank for this. But a lot of times it's just like you said, it won't rank. I mean, even if you build a lot of links to it, sometimes you're competing against Fortune 500 to literally have SEO teams that are getting paid a million dollars a year in terms of their budget. And to try to compete against them for that keyword, it's really tough. I mean, understatement. So it's good to have a single keyword, but probably don't make that keyword buy new cars. Yeah, exactly. So you definitely want to make the keyword something that there's a bunch of variables that go into choosing a keyword. It's actually one of the most important parts of SEO. A lot of people sort of skip over it because they think, oh, I want to rank for this keyword. And as someone who does, I don't really do much client work anymore. But when I did, that was always one of the frustrating things because I really wanted to help the person that hired me. And a lot of times they'd come to me and be like, oh, I, you know, Brian, okay, I'm going to hire you. Here are five keywords we want to rank for. And they didn't really put a lot of thought into how competitive they were and also how well they're going to convert. 
because a lot of people go after really broad keywords, like for example, investing or buy stocks or things like buy life insurance. And the issue with those is that that actually doesn't convert really well because those people aren't at the stage of the buying cycle where they're ready to buy something from you, where they're ready to become a lead for you. So you really, these long tail keywords, not only are they less competitive, but a lot of times they convert 10 times better than a broad keyword. So if someone's searching for, let's say, insurance in Google, may have a ton of search volume. The problem is, even if you are magically able to rank for that keyword, it could be someone in high school doing research about insurance. You don't even know, it could be about car insurance or life insurance. On the other hand, someone's searching for life insurance for a senior, okay, now we're talking. That's something that's much more specific, less competitive, and that person's much more likely to convert for you when they do visit your site. That makes sense. And for companies, I can understand sort of setting up these landing pages targeted at those keywords or articles specifically targeted at those keywords. One thing that popped into my head as you were describing this sort of process is I'm wondering when you write content right now, how much of it is based on, is it keyword first or is it creative idea brainstorm first and then figure out what keyword to use for that article? That's a good question. I actually go keyword first because for me, even if there's no such thing as SEO, the value of keywords is unbelievable because you're getting objective data when you use the Google Keyword Planner about what people are interested in and what problems they're having and what they're actually typing into search engines. So for me, keyword research is really just market research. And even if there's no such thing as SEO, I'd still pay very close attention to not only what keywords people search for, but also the trends in my industry to get an idea of what's growing. What are people becoming more interested in? What are people becoming less interested in? So once I find a keyword, that's usually a problem. I see keywords a lot of times as problems. So people type something in Google because they have a problem. They don't have insurance right? Or they need to lose weight. So maybe the keyword doesn't say like, I need to lose weight. But the underlying idea is that that person has some problem and they're looking to Google to help them. So then I try to create content that solves their problem. When I write the piece of content, I usually don't actually have the keyword in my head because I can mess you up and have you write for the search engine and not the human. So I like to just write as if there's no such thing as SEO. And then I go back and retroactively add keywords and, and optimize it later on. All right. So you're saying sometimes you go back and change. Right. You change the keywords as what happens? It's not really 100% because of SEO. It's more because keyword research gives you an idea about what your target audience cares about. So when you use the Google Keyword Planner, which I recommend that you do, it shows you exactly how many people per month are searching for a given keyword you know, solid gold market research information to tell you what your target audience is interested in, what problems they're having. And also you can look at the trends of those keywords to see what's becoming more popular and less popular in, in your industry. So I really pay attention to that more for the market research side, but also of course for SEO. So once I have that keyword, I try to dig deep in that keyword and think, what's the underlying problem that person is having and how can I create content that solves their problem. And when I do that, I don't keep that keyword in my head at all. I try to pretend I don't even know it. And I just write to try to solve that problem. And then I go back after the post is finished. And that's when I optimize it for search engines. And a lot of times you do have to sacrifice maybe a half a percent to 1% of your content quality. But for me, that's a worthwhile sacrifice for the increase in traffic. So for me, a lot of people say, oh, you should write for humans and not search engines. But if you're a 21st century marketer, you do need to do both. And that's a process that's worked best for me. Awesome. Search engines ultimately are driven by humans. So, Right. Good point. So you found your keywords. You came up with the keyword that you're going after for your content. How long? One thing that you mentioned before was that 
the length of the content is really critical. What do most people do? So I think most people, what they do is they create landing pages that are basically to sell their products and services and describe their products and services as opposed to legitimately trying to solve people's problems. Or they get into the whole content marketing thing and they create kind of these mediocre 400 word blog posts, which has a lot of regurgitated information. That's the kind of mistake I see people make because I, I think people realize now that to rank today, you need great content on your website, but it needs to be better than great because the problem is so many people have invested in content marketing and have gone all in in content marketing. No matter what industry you're in, basically every keyword has a top 10 list of just outstanding stuff. So to rank, you really need to deserve it. So you need to be one of the top 10 pieces of content around that keyword. And there's no tricks or SEO loopholes that you can exploit anymore to, to rank above the stuff that actually deserves to be there. There's things you can do that can help you, but there's no way you can put a square peg in a round hole anymore and say, well, someone wrote about you know the ultimate guide to weight loss and it's well-designed and it's very in-depth and doctors contributed to it. And I'm gonna create my 400 word posts, five tips for weight loss, and I'll rank around where they are. It just doesn't work like that anymore. So yeah, I see a lot of people when they do get into content marketing, they create a lot of content and it's very thin. So what you want to do is take that one keyword, that one problem that this person's having and create something that's absolutely outstanding. It's really thorough and it basically is the best piece of content about that keyword online. And if you're not willing to do that, then the sad truth is that you won't rank today. Got it. So rather than 400 words, what should we be shooting for? You want to go with at least 2,000. So there's a couple of reasons you want to shoot for 2,000. One, there was an industry study done by a company called Serp IQ. And what they did was they analyzed the top 10 results of, I think it was 8,000 keywords. And they found that the average top 10 result was 2,000 words in Google. It was very rare that they found a 400-word article. And actually, as you trend towards the top five, it actually was more like 2,500. And there was another study, this was by Jonah Berger, who's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he looked at the most uh, shared articles in the New York Times. So he looked at the articles that were shared most in the New York Times and what did they have in common that the articles that flopped didn't have. And one of the most strong indicators of a piece of content that got shared was the length. So if something was longer, all things being equal, it was more likely to make this most email list than something that wasn't. Length is strength when it comes to content. One thing that I'm curious about there is what I found for long content has been the easiest for me to generate has been how-to articles. I guess I'm sort of just thinking, what content, is it answering a single question? What does long content look like? And you know, what have you seen that produces the best results? Yeah, I think it's exactly as you said, uh, Nick. It's basically you just, you're trying to write something in depth that solves that particular problem. You don't have to cover the entire spectrum of that topic, but it's like an inch wide, mile deep. You have that one topic and you just cover it to death. You cover every angle. You just make it outstanding. You can cover a, a wider breadth if you want to, but in my experience, what works best is that when someone's looking for a particular problem or they have a particular problem looking for a solution, that's what they want to read about. So it's similar to if you search for symptoms online if you, or if you look for health and disease information online. When you land on WebMD, and you want to learn about arthritis, they don't really have a lot of information about heart disease or anything else, right? It's pretty much all about arthritis, and that's what you want. And it should be the same with whatever you're writing about on your site. So it's basically information pages. Yeah, I mean, for information pages, you want to target how-to keywords like you're talking about that your target audience is searching for. For buyer keywords, it's a bit trickier, right? Because something like buy car insurance online, you can create content around that. There's nothing wrong with that. But 
it's usually a bit trickier. What I like to do is create content that generates a lot of links to the site. And then I funnel page rank from those pages to those landing pages that are those buyer keywords that you could try to create content around, but sometimes it's really difficult and you're better off just creating a landing page. It's going to convert for you. How are you driving people to those landing pages? From SEO. So you create these amazing guides that are overlap with your demographics. So then when people search for them, they read your helpful content, you can get them on an email list and they're more likely to buy from you. And then you funnel PageRank through internal linking to those landing pages and get links to them that way. So it's, it's Got it. and you're sending juice to them. And as your domain authority builds up, you can rank for these really competitive keywords without having too many links to those landing pages. So if you look at Amazon, it's funny. Amazon ranks for everything, right? Pretty much every product keyword Amazon is ranking. But if you actually look at those pages, and see how many links are pointing to them, it's usually zero. So just recently I was looking at like lawnmower pages and category pages on Amazon and I put them into this tool that will see how many links are pointing to them and it was zero, but they're ranking number one for all these keywords and they do that because they have a really strong domain uh, with a lot of links pointing to it. So they just internal link to those categories and products and that's enough for them to rank. That would be a nice position to be in. Yeah, it's not a bad, you don't even need to, you just basically create content, rank. That's all they have to do. Okay, so we went through the process. We figured out that we need to take a single page and focus it on a single keyword. We also found that in addition to making that focus on one keyword, we also need to make sure that our content is long enough, at least 2,000 to 2,500 words or more. And then we set up the content. How do we end up getting traffic to those pages? One of the things you mentioned early on was specifically that people don't promote enough. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So when you create a piece of content, I mean, the, the length is important and it's a good guideline to have in the back of your head. But needless to say, it has to be great. So I think more important is, is it one of the 10 best pieces of content on that topic online? And you should only try to promote it if you have that. Because if you try to promote something that's mediocre, it's not going to go very far, even if you put a lot of effort into promoting that content. But anyway, so a lot of people with content marketing, they take kind of the publish and pray approach where they publish something, even if it's great. If you don't already have an audience, basically playing to an empty room, you know, you publish and maybe you'll see it and you tweet it out and you share it on Facebook. But for me, I've had the most success with content promotion is with email outreach. Email outreach is a really powerful way to get your content in front of the people who have the power to share it. And I can't think of any other way to do it. So I just really use tons. Of, I still use tons of email outreach to promote my content. Actually, when I publish a blog post, I usually email 200 people, either a combination of before it comes out and after. I can talk into maybe about how I find those people. I'd like to know specifically the process you use for this email outreach. Sure. So basically what I do is I have the content ready. It's a top 10, if not top five on the web. So once you have that, you can be pretty confident that there are people out there who would want to read that, right? Because people who, who tend to write about that topic and cover that topic, they're interested in it, right? So if you create something really great that you're proud of, that you show your mom, they would also want to see it. So what I do is I use this program that's free and amazing called buzzsumo.com. So buzzsumo.com is basically where you can find out who shared content on Twitter specifically, but also you can see how content's performed overall. So for example, if your target keyword was weight loss tips, you'd put the keyword weight loss tips into buzzsumo and it would show you what content about weight loss, you could just put weight loss and see what content has already performed well. So you see, okay, this article has done really well about weight loss. And you click a button and you can see everyone that tweeted it out and download a spreadsheet of everyone that tweeted it out. So then it's like, wow, okay, so now I have a list of people that not only are interested in this topic, but have already shared something similar. 
it's pretty much exactly who you want to reach out to. So then I do a little bit of qualifying. So I go through and I delete some maybe spammy Twitter profiles or people who aren't very influential or people who don't seem to be really into that topic. And then I find their contact information. And that's a bit of grunt work. So I use a contractor or freelancer on a site like TaskRabbit or Elance to do that. And basically there's a process that you can go through to find their contact information. You can find pretty much everyone's email online if you know what to do. And I can share that. It's a little bit crazy, but you can find like Larry Page's email. <laughs> if you want to. But anyway, so then you find their current information and then you just reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I saw that you shared this article. I have something coming out soon or I just published something. Uh, here you go. And you don't really have to ask them. The conversion rate isn't 100% obviously, but you will get a lot of shares and it's definitely a lot more powerful than just like sharing it on Facebook and hoping that it goes viral. Got it. So this email outreach is exclusively for sort of social promotion. Yeah, that's what I do in the early stages. So when I first publish something, I try to get some buzz around it, try to get some eyeballs, try to push it into viral territory. And in my experience, the best way to do that is email outreach, is to email it to influential people who have already shown a propensity to share something similar. It's not a hard sell. You're not asking them to share it. You're just getting it in front of them. And the reason that no one does this is because it's a lot of work. I mean, you have to find a piece of content in your space. It's already done well. You have to find out who shared it. Using BuzzSumo, it's easy, but still. Then you have to find their contact information. And then you have to email individually 200 people and put their name in the subject line, put their name in the email. It's a ton of work, but that's really what you have to do to stand out. Because right now, today, there are 2 million blog posts published every day, every single day. So when you publish something, you're one of 2 million people publishing a blog post. So we went through this process where we looked up the keywords that we wanted to use or found the keyword that we wanted to use. We came up with the content that we were going to write that was at least 2,000 to 2,500 words or more. Then we did an email outreach to people who have shared it before in order to try to get that content to go viral. Exactly. I mean, you don't have to necessarily have it go viral in the sense that it's like Justin Bieber, but you'll get a lot more shares and links to something that you actively promote with email outreach than if you don't. One question I have in regards to this sure. email outreach process. Sure. So let's say you've, you happen to write about the same topic every time, which is search engine optimization. You may segment it by a subset or sub areas, but when you've now seen a lot of the same people tweeting a lot of the same stuff, do you email the same people every time? No, no. I actively don't do that because it can get annoying, as you can imagine. So I usually find people that have covered something more specifically in that topic. So for example, if I write about keyword research, I'll find people that have tweeted something about keyword research. And a lot of times it'll be the same people that the day before, maybe they tweeted something about on-page SEO. But I try not to be annoying. I'm in the fortunate position that I'm an SEO and there's it's a huge interest, so there's a lot of people. But the disadvantage of being in the SEO space is it's really competitive in that you have to stand out in that space. You do have to email tons of people. Now, in most industries, you don't have to email that many people to get a result. A little bit of email outreach goes a long way. So what does that email look like? So the email is basically like this. So the subject is just heads up about a blog post or blog post on topic. And then I say, hi, name. I noticed uh, the other day that you shared this post on Twitter. And that's the one that you had seen had already done well. Just wanted to give you a heads up that I published something similar. Here you go. Would love to know what you think. That's it. I would say maybe 10 to 20%, depending on your industry, will share that piece of content. And now that you got it in front of them, you'll get links to it because not only do the shares get it in front of more people and the more eyeballs you get, the more likely you are to get links. But that person who tweeted probably also has a website. That content is, is forefront in their mind. They would have never seen it if you didn't use email outreach. And when you're talking about 200, 400, 600, 800, 1,000, 2,000, all of a sudden you have 2,000 bloggers that have at least seen 
some content on your site. So when they write something and they think, oh, I need to link to something as a reference, you're going to be top of mind. And they're going to think of you and they'll link to you. You can also do some active link building outreach, which you can talk about, which is very similar, but you contact a different group of people and the, the strategy is more to get links. This is awesome. So we've gone through the process, which is effectively coming up with the keyword, writing long enough content, in this case, 2,500 words or 2,000 to 2,500 or more. And then we do the email outreach, a tool like BuzzSumo to find people who are tweeting about that topic or posting about it elsewhere and reaching out to them. Now our article has done incredibly well. Do we go and immediately write another article? No. See, that, that's another mistake a lot of people make is that they move too far to the next one and they don't spend enough time promoting what they have. You don't need a huge site to rank. For example, on my site, Backlinko, gets about 40,000 unique visitors a month from SEO and it only has 25 pages of content. So you don't need a lot of content. You really want to spend a lot of time just massaging or squeezing the most out of the content that you already have. And that's where I move on to more of the link building segment, which is really important because then that's how you actually rank for competitive keywords. I think what the, the main takeaway from what you just said is make sure you invest enough time working on each highly targeted article. With blogs, there is a little bit of a difference in the sense that frequency is actually important to build brand reputation and to get people coming back and refreshing your homepage. Backlinko is not a page where I go and just hit refresh, right? Yeah, most blogs are like that. And I think there's definitely a case to be made that you want to publish on a regular basis. I wouldn't sacrifice quality for quantity, even a little bit. So for me, I only publish once a month. For other people, every day works. And to be fair, you know, the average company, for example, is probably not going through the process of writing 10 articles a day. They're investing heavily in each individual article, which means that everything you've said would resonate very deeply versus a large online publisher. They probably don't need as much advice. Yeah, exactly. So that's another thing. It's like trying to build a store modeled around Walmart. It's not going to work because they have resources that you'll never have. So yeah, a lot of sites blog every day, but maybe they didn't get there. I, I would publish as often as I could. I wish I could publish something every day, but I don't have something to say every day. I don't have the resources to publish something that in depth every day. And more importantly, I don't have the time and energy to promote everything that I publish if I publish that often. So if someone's struggling with content marketing, one of the first things I tell them is don't publish so often. And a lot of times they ask, well, what will I do with my time? Because a lot of times they're spending like 90% of their time creating content and promote the stuff you already have. Ideally, you should spend 20% of your time creating and 80% promoting when you're first starting out. If you don't have an audience, that's how you get one. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, I mean, it sounds like we actually learned a ton today. We learned about, as I said before, the on-page optimization, the length of the content, how to do a lot of the outreach and how to spend more time focusing on the individual articles rather than turning back to the new article page in your WordPress or whatever tool you're using to immediately come up with the next article that you need to churn out. One last question that I have for you out of curiosity is how long do you spend crafting one of your articles? So Nick, I'm actually reluctant to say because it, it scares a lot of people. And I just want to preface this with you don't have to put this much time to get these sort of results that I talked about. The reason that I put in this much time is because I'm in a super competitive space. And if I don't produce stuff that's absolutely outstanding, I'm going to get ignored. You're probably not in an industry that's that crowded and noisy. So I spend 20 hours on a blog post. Got it. 
So with that disclaimer, you don't have to spend that much to get these results. That's just with writing it. Then it's another 10 to 20 on the outreach side, but that's usually someone else helps me with that. But with those 20 hours that you've spent, so you've basically spent 20 hours times 25 articles, and that's resulted in a consistently a 40 to 50,000 people a month. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today, Brian. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week. I'm rolling.